encouraging you to imagine, uh, just think back, reflect on a time when you were in a space, could have been with a lot of people, could have been a small group of people, and you experienced a really deep sense of belonging. So whatever was going on in that space, you felt like, this is my tribe, this is my people, I'm deeply connected to what's going on here. All right, so when I think about that, it's really easy for me. Uh, and it was actually a huge group of people. It was in 2001 at the Pepsi Center in Denver, Colorado, and I saw you 2 And some of my most spiritual experiences are concerts. I don't know why that is, but this particular one, I, I do have some insight, I think. Um, 2001, it was like November of 2001, so 9-11 had just happened. Um, this will let you know how old or how young I am compared to you, but I was a freshman in college uh, when that took place, and so... Remember, I was living in a house of seven guys. One of them flagged me down as I was biking to class and let me know what happened. And arrived in the student union, and there were kids just like holding each other, crying everywhere. And that's pretty much how things continued for the next several days. Like we just glued to our, our TV screens, waiting for news, what, what took place. And if you know any about that time or you lived through that experience, you know that like there were some things that I think my generation assumed about our invincibility uh, as this powerhouse nation, um, almost felt like we were autonomous from a lot of the other suffering and violence that happened in elsewhere in the world. And then when those towers fell, all of a sudden we felt incredibly vulnerable. Like there are a lot of things about this life, our country, this world that all of a sudden felt really unsure. And so us 20,000 people filed into the Pepsi Center and uh, Bono essentially put on a church service. I mean, uh, he he held court, and, and we all limped into that space feeling, I think, a lot of unsure about a lot of things. And, you know, it's a multi-generational gathering because, man, they've been packing arenas since the 80s, you know? So you had 80s fans, 90s fans, 2000s fans uh, going into the 2000s. But this multi-generational gathering of people uh, hearing Bono point us to Jesus repeatedly, which was pretty awesome, and then watching these names, you know, of all the victims filing down in these sheets they had hung from the rafters. And I remember, uh, you know, they ended with um, singing Walk On, which is like an anthem of survival and, and uh, staying strong and moving forward. And then, uh, and this, this will show you like how much of a YouTube geek I am, but in the 80s, they would finish a lot of their big arena uh, tours, their, their concerts with singing 40. And the whole, the whole arena would begin singing it before them. And the words of 40 are straight from Psalm 40. And so on this night, and it began blizzarding. You know what I mean? Like, this is like a magical night in Denver. And hearing these 20,000 fans singing the, the words from Psalm 40 was like this magical spiritual experience. And I remember walking out there, it's like strangers have their arms around one another. You know, people are crying. It was just like this feeling of like this deep, deep uh, sense of, of belonging. And uh, so for us, I, I share that just to kind of set up our conversation is all of us kind of have a natural predisposition to, to feel connected and experience belonging in all different kinds of spaces. And there's some work that I think is really helpful for us as we reflect not only on how God has wired us, but as we think about, hey, as a kingdom people who are committed to following after Jesus with Jesus as our guide, who are seeking to live on mission to create spaces where people can bump into Jesus and experience belonging, uh, I think that this will, be, this will be valuable. So I want to point you to some work um, by a guy by the name of Edward Halls. Um, he was an anthropologist in the 60s, 
and he did some work on um, something called Primixix, uh, I'm gonna get this wrong, Proximix. And in his field of anthropology, basically what he's doing is he's looking across cultures in the kinds of environments where people experience belonging. And he's doing it kind of through, I mean, he's not a believer. It wasn't a, a Christian book that he was writing by any means. But he's saying, like, these are the universal spaces and places where people experience belonging. So as we're doing, say, city planning, for example, right, we should be very intentional as we're creating this, these environments because they're so important uh, to the human mind, soul, and, and, and connection. Um, and you can go ahead and throw those up there. Uh, I think I've got a, a slide with, with those four environments on there. Do you see those? Well, God, anyway, Joseph Myers uh, in the uh, 2000s basically took this idea and um, applied it to the church and began looking at like, hey, if this is kind of the universally the spaces and places where people experience a deep sense of belonging, what does it mean for us as a church as we're thinking about being the bride of Christ, uh, creating and experiencing community and intimacy uh, and living on mission? And one of the things that was really valuable that he, he pointed to, and I think is really true, is he said for, as long, for a long time, for decades and decades, at least the last 60 years, uh, the church, as we know it, and have many of us have experienced, have, have focused almost exclusively on one space, maximum one to two spaces. And we've tried to accomplish, as we're talking about like discipleship and spiritual formation and worship and mission, we have tried to accomplish almost all of it in this big public space. Uh, but we as, as people are much more complex than that. Uh, we're much more diverse than that. And I think we kind of assume like, hey, if we can kill it in this big public space, get a couple hundred people or a couple thousand people in the room, uh, excellent biblical exegetical teaching, blah, 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 whatever, pick your, pick your, your flavor, uh, then, then things like deep spiritual formation, being formed in the way of Jesus living on mission will just sort of happen. Um, but unfortunately, I would say that that's, that's not really what has happened. And that's kind of why we find ourselves in the place that we do in this historical moment in the United States. But even more importantly than that, one of the things that he pointed out, he said, you know, one of the gifts sometimes of the sciences is that things like anthropologists will spend years and years and years researching something. And it allows us to go back to the scriptures and highlight something that was always there that maybe we didn't see in the beginning. And when it comes to these spaces of connection and belonging, one of the things he pointed out is these are things that we see in the biblical account and in the life of Jesus, right? So just like think through this with me as we just think through the lens of Jesus, which is something we try to do all the time with just about everything we do as a church. So if you think about Jesus, the spaces he engaged with, uh, the, the people he engaged with, did Jesus have a group of three where he experienced or created connection or belonging? Yes, for sure. That's kind of a softball uh, to the Bible scholars. Bam, right? Yes, he did. He had his inner circle of three, right? So within the disciples, uh, not all those relationships were the same. There were three where Jesus had a deeper friendship, connection, and they got more time, more attention, and more of his investment. Uh, did Jesus have a group of 12 that experienced connection? <laughs> yes. yes, absolutely, he did, right? So we know that um, amongst those who followed after Jesus, he pointed 12 to be the apostles, and they got more of his time than most, and that he spent... Uh, years investing into their lives. Uh, did, do we find Jesus um, creating spaces and engaging in spaces of belonging for bigger groups than 12, say 40-ish, 13 to 40, 50? Uh, we do. 
right? Yeah, so there were the 12, uh, but they weren't the only people in his posse following him around and learning from him, right? There were bigger environments. We find him, you know, if you read through the account of Jesus, uh, we find him in those spaces, engaging with people, people uh, that were following along but just weren't counted in the, those 12, uh, people like Mary Magdalene, for example. And do we find Jesus ex- interacting, engaging in bigger spaces with crowds of people of 70 and above? Right, we do, yeah, right? Yeah, we do. And what's really, so it's really interesting, right? You see these different kind of environments where Jesus is interacting and teaching. One of the things that I, I think is really fascinating is that, you know, Jesus did engage in these spaces. Most of the time he was creating them and he didn't interact the same way in each of these spaces as he did in every other space, right? And so there is like a unique quality to the environments that Jesus created or entered into that kind of shaped the way that he interacted. Like he didn't have the same uh, expectations in every space of what that space could provide or how those people would interact, right? So he, he changes the way he, he operates uh, in different spaces. Um, we find him offering actually different things uh, in these different spaces. Um, and so we could take this and, and then kind of push even forward further into the early church, right? And so we look at this movement of Jesus that was unleashed in and through the disciples, and we find that in the early church, from very early on, it was never locked into, you know, hundreds of people or 70-plus gathering. Uh, there's a lot of different places and, and spaces. So we find places where you have citywide networks of connected smaller communities of believers like the church in Ephesus. Um, we see that, you know, have this idea of oikos, right, which means like household, kind of this expanded version of a family of 20 to 40 people that we would say, Oh, that actually seems pretty similar to what we were, what Halls is calling the social space here. Um, and then you had smaller house churches that are described of five to 12 that typically gather around tables, not unlike this in homes, uh, where hospitality is being experienced, where mission is being experienced. And then we also have, you know, biblical accounts and early church accounts of believers who, who had deep discipleship community, right? Like that red hot center of encouraging one another in living on mission in their own spaces or living on mission together. And so even there, uh, we just see that the church is the church in a lot of different ways, in a lot of different spaces, and not everybody experiences belonging and connection in one space, right? And so they're, they're everywhere. I was on a call recently with a guy named Lucas Pulley, who's uh, with the Tampa Underground, and he said something um, kind of on this topic that is really just like reverberated like in my heart and mind ever since I heard it, like I can't unhear it. And I think this really rings true. And I'm gonna read it so I don't misquote him, but this is what he said. He said, I think right now in our time, this concept of belonging is on the forefront of what it means to demonstrate the kingdom of God to people. Right, and so one of the things that we, we have kind of circled back to as a community of faith is one of the questions we're constantly asking as a Jesus people who are in a particular time and place in human history, right, is like, what does it mean for us here and now to, to proclaim and demonstrate the good news, right? It's like, what does the good news of the king and the kingdom sound like in light of what is going on, you know, in our world, in this cultural moment, to those in our city, to those in our neighborhoods, to those in our circles, what does good news sound like, right? And so, and how do we share that? And how do we put that on display? And this is just one of those questions, like every generation has to ask for themselves, right? Because every time in history, uh, 
is a little bit different, right? What does good news sound like? And I think right now I'm, I'm increasingly convinced that one of the biggest issues, and you've heard us bring it up multiple times because it's just so central. One of the biggest issues that exists is we are living in a time where there is a crisis of loneliness. I mean, it is everywhere. If you're connected to people, like I'm telling you something you already know, right? It is, it's everywhere. And so I, I want to share this with you. I just, these are news titles of articles that were written just over the last three, four years on this topic. So this is from 2018, the Washington Post. So this is pre-pandemic and all the isolation that came with that. Uh, this was the title of the article. Surgeon General says there is a loneliness epidemic. Right? It's, that's a heavy word. That's not a word that the Surgeon General just throws around. There's an epidemic of loneliness. Uh, USA Today writes, young people report more loneliness than the elderly for the first time in recorded history. Boston Globe, the biggest threat facing middle-aged men isn't smoking or obesity, it's loneliness. The New York Times, the surprising effects of loneliness on health. This one's from The Atlantic. Loneliness begets more loneliness. Research on loneliness as a social contagion. New York Times again, how social isolation is killing us. This from Vice, social isolation kills more people than obesity. Now listen to this one, this is from the Stanford Journal. Loneliness has the same effect on mortality as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. It's incredible, that's the, that's the Stanford Journal. And then this one from the Frontiers in Neuroscience, the region of the brain that's activated when we experience rejection or loneliness is the same region that registers when you step on a Lego. So you know it's serious. If you have if ever had kids, that's some real pain, right? But so listen to, you know, what we're hearing, right? It's like there is a direct connection between loneliness and health and not just mental health, though certainly mental health, but physical health affects how long we live or don't live, uh, affects our physical health in all kinds of different ways. Um, that's to say nothing of emotional health, relational health, spiritual health. Um, and so I, here's, here's my, what I'm just increasingly convinced of, is for us as we ask the question, like, what does good news sound like for the people that God has placed around us? Whatever the answer is to that question, I'm convinced that it involves a very real and deep sense of belonging, like an experience an experience of belonging. You know, we see, like, as we think about what this means for us, when we look at the early church, we find them doing, like, really beautiful, redemptive kingdom work, you know, that was relevant for their time, their place, the opportunities God put in front of them, right? And so we find them doing things like restoring sight to the blind, uh, taking care of the poor. We find them providing uh, shelter and family for widows and orphans, uh, they sold farms and land, laying it at the apostles' feet to distribute and meet the needs of others, right? These are all examples of them putting flesh in the kingdom, right? The kingdom breaking, on, breaking in where God had them, right? And so they were asking questions like, what realities exist around us that do not reflect the Father's heart for his kids, right? Or the way we put it at times around here is like, if Jesus were to move into the neighborhood, into our city this week, what are the broken things that do not reflect the Father's heart that he would begin to fix if the kingdom was breaking in its fullness and, and God was making all things new, 
right? And so they are thinking things like, well, in the kingdom, there won't be orphans without family. Or there won't be, there won't be widows scraping by trying to survive. There wouldn't be this, this great disparity of wealth where you had some families with tons of land that they may or may not fully utilize and other families who are struggling just to put bread on the table. And perhaps there's an invitation for us then in this as, as kingdom people. And I think for us, right, as we ask, like, what is the cultural moment God has, has placed in front of us? What does it look like for us to be a kingdom people here and now that we could conclude, like, in the midst of these scores of people feeling isolated, alone, uh, feeling like there's, they have no real place of belonging, uh, no community with which to journey or fellowship, uh, to ask for help uh, when they need it, that I think we could conclusively say that that's not reflective of the Father's heart, right? In the kingdom of God, uh, there will be no forgotten, overlooked, unloved, isolated, or lonely people. And that maybe, just maybe for us, there's, there's an invitation as kingdom people in that. And the beauty of this is this, is we as Jesus' church, as his hands and feet, have been uniquely equipped, equipped with the resources, uh, with the calling, with the heart posture when it's in the right place, with the power and the authority to redeem belonging to a lonely generation. I think this is one of the greatest opportunities that we have uh, in front of us. And I think that's why, that's, therein lies the value of thinking through these spaces, right? Because not everybody is going to find belonging first on this side of the spectrum or up here, right? Nobody's gonna walk into the same room at the same time, experience the same kind of belonging, maybe that they need in that season, right? Or maybe the way that God's wired them where they're gonna tend to connect. And so my hope is, my prayer is, it might, might not be like a lightning bolt uh, or a light bulb moment, but maybe a spark. You know, as you start to think through the spaces that maybe for you in like say your microchurch, where you might say like, we throw that image back up there, where it's like, man, you know, we're really strong I would say most of our microchurches operate in this space primarily. Uh, we're really strong here, you know, but as, I, as we think about these people that got us placed on our, in our spheres of influence, on our hearts, the people we're praying for, the people we're creating for, the people we're like, man, they're struggling alone. If they could just experience a living Jesus, it would change everything for them. I know it. And maybe there's opportunities that right up until now we haven't seen yet. And it's like, man, they actually might find belonging in this kind of a space where they can maybe have a little bit more autonomy where it's not quite as intimidating, you know, over here um, or vice versa, right? And so um, how long have I gone? I got to be getting close. Okay. So, so let's do this. Here's, here's what I want to do is just as like a practical exercise in thinking about these spaces because I know it can feel like we're floating at, in the ethereal 10,000 foot space. I want to just think through like tangible examples, right? So together, like tangible examples in and out of the church of spaces of these sizes where people might experience a deep sense of belonging, all right? So let's start public space. Like who can think of a public space where people might experience a deep sense of belonging? So 70 plus. Yes, that's right. Grown men, strangers, just hugging it out, yep feel like a tribe. Whenever I go see Nebraska play and they actually manage to win a game, it's like the kingdom has come in its fullness. Yeah, strong sense of belonging there. What else? Gave you? Some of these music venues this weekend with big ears are probably having some of that 
Absolutely. Absolutely. I got to go see Dave Matthews at the Gorge this last year. Three nights in a row, Dave Matthews. And it's like the only thing we all had in common was that we appreciated one of the greatest jam bands of all time, if I don't say so myself. Spent half the time like carrying drunk people to their tents so they wouldn't get arrested, you know. But it's a sense of belonging. <laughs> I'll say that. We were a tribe by the end of it. What others come to mind? What's that? Yeah, a race. Absolutely. I imagine this morning there's probably deep sense of belonging amongst those runners. Yeah. Or those cheering them on. Yeah. Ideally a school. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Both of my teenage daughters laughing at that. She said ideally. In a, Yes, midnight movie premieres. Oh man, yes, that's a great one. Yeah. Absolutely. If you've ever been to Sturgis, I'm sure it was similar. Just a love for the Iron Horse. <laughs> And whatever lifestyle that represents. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, all those are, are great. I also had um, things like open streets, you know, on Severe Avenue in the summer. It's more neighborhood-based areas of the city where everybody connects. Um, Silent Disto at Zool, right? <laughs> yeah. Yep. Guessing there was a sense of belonging there. Um, and also, just to you know, give credit where credit's due and, and not write it off entirely, uh, a large church gathering right, can be a place where there's a deep sense of belonging for sure. Right? So we're not questioning at all like, the value of what God can and often does in spaces like this. We're just saying there's more. Right? If you just do that, you're, you're really limited. So let's move to the next one. So social space, like 13 to 40 in or out of the church where people might experience a sense of belonging, connection. Coffee shop, yep. CrossFit gyms, for sure, yep. What was that, Rec Sports? Yeah, Rec Sports League, for sure. But clubs, yep. Birthday parties, yep. Fraternity, sororities, definitely. Family reunions, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure that's not true for all of us, but I'm glad to hear that's been your experience. <laughs> yeah, bachelorette party, camping party, right? Yep, yeah, for sure. I think uh, there's some others, like any neighborhood get together a party has the opportunity to be that. Uh, also around like, you know, things that you enjoy doing, like mountain biking club, kayaking club. Um, you guys already nailed gym, small business owners collective, St. Patty's Day with friends and maybe soon to be friends, right? Uh, any of those, yeah, any of those are places where you might experience a deep sense of connection. 
Let's, uh, all right, let's get a little bit more intimate, a little bit smaller. So personal space. So we'll say like three to 12. Bonfire, absolutely. Book club. Book club, yep. Like the one that Nicole does, right? Or cigar night, right? Yep. <laughs> I don't know at what point that becomes a hazard, but definitely a hazard for the lungs with that many people smoking cigars. Those are great. Sports team, just the team itself. Yep. Sports team, for All sure. Sports, I guess. Yeah. Sometimes, because when I look at it, I think of like my neighborhood, my block, my next door neighbor. Yeah, that's excellent. I wasn't going there, so I'm glad he didn't ruin it, but that's great insight. <laughs> it's a great way to think about it. I love it. I wish I would have thought of it. Yeah, I know we've had others here, right, do poetry, right? Or it might be writing, reading, love of poetry. Could be uh, local artists, songwriters, right? Collective coming together to share their work or to write together. Um, any of those, like as I shared, I think most of our microchurches, and this tends to be kind of like their sweet spot when they're not throwing parties. Most of our, our microchurch cores are about that size, 3 to 12. Um, yeah, so that's great. So let's go to the last one. So even smaller, intimate space. So we'll say like two to three. And, and I want to challenge you to think outside the church. What examples do we have? Immediate family, yep. Roommates, Definitely. Totally. Yeah. Kind of like a subgroup that emerges, inner circle within the, the other group. Yeah. Totally. I'm sure none of our microchurches have ever experienced that happening. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Hiking together, walking together. Yeah. Yeah, new moms, play dates. I'm repeating all this back just so we get it recorded because you can't hear it on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, so those are all great. So again, like this is more like tapping into the genius in the room than trying to tell anybody what to do. Right, because oftentimes it's in these spaces. And again, like Holy Spirit is here, present within each one of us. And I've been doing this long enough to know that sometimes the thing he needs to hear doesn't come from the microphone. And so try just trying to get those kind of creative kind of missional juices going. And one of the things I would also say, just wrapping up is this. You know, like for the last four years of we've been doing this, like a big part of our focus has been here. Uh, we've done some focus here, but 
most of our team has some kind of church background. If you've ever been a part of a church small group, like this is at least familiar. It's not intimidating, unfamiliar space. But oftentimes what we found is this remains this kind of mid-sized group, just like completely untapped potential. And, and also like really stretching for people who don't tend to throw parties and have lots of people over. So we've had lots and lots of, of conversation about this, which I know has been stretching for some of us and fun for others and probably a mix of both. But here's what's really interesting and what's kind of evolving in the missional conversation right now. So, you know, Creo Collective is our tribe and, and includes people doing similar works to what we're doing all over the country. And what's, what's emerging on the other side of COVID and the pandemic and the isolation and the loneliness we're talking about is with that has become has come uh, a lot of social anxiety as well that has been exacerbated or shown up on the other side of the pandemic. And in that, what's been really interesting is for some, there's a little bit more of a nervousness about this space where this used to be, I would say, like the bread and butter, you know, for a lot of missional types. And there's a renewed longing and interest for like the one-on-one -on -one environment. And I share that, one, just to because we probably need to grow in that. But what gets me really excited is the truth is, like, not everybody has kind of the, the natural disposition or gifting to pull off a big public event of 70-plus people, you know? And not everybody has the gifting to, to throw a great party and to make people feel connected and belong. And not everybody has the gift set to cultivate deep, interdependent community that lives on mission of 12 or so. But everybody can do this, right? Everybody can do the one-to-one. -one. Like everybody gets to play in that space. Like you can, you can be terrible at a lot of things, <laughs> but if you resolve to be a good friend and to take a vested interest in somebody and hear, ask good questions about their story, their journey, their struggle, like where they're at and what they're living out right now, like this now becomes an incredibly powerful thing and in our cultural moment seems to be uh, really ripe for opportunity and it's something that we can all be a part of, which makes me really, really excited. So, so all that to say, maybe just maybe there's an invitation in that for us as well. So here's what I wanna do. I wanna push to the tables and I got a couple questions for you. Uh, and it's this. So as you think about these spaces, uh, what spaces have you found to be the easiest to find or create? Um, and where's it been hardest maybe to connect? And actually, let's just leave it there because we're not going to have a lot of time. So we'll just do that one. Sound good?